Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. 625, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your Heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at all the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Don't Worry About Tomorrow. Pray with me. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this hour, God. We gather together in your name, and we'll ask you now, God, to teach us from your word. Father, I pray that you would anoint me to say the things that would honor you, and I ask you to strengthen my mouth and my mind and my body, God, to serve you in this capacity, Lord, and I ask you to give us ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't worry about tomorrow now as i'm saying that i'm thinking about uh that song uh, well a two-word song titled sure now if you and i'm gonna give you a piece of advice i don't recommend that you leave serving the lord to go be a secular music writer but if you were going to be a secular music writer you could certainly make millions of dollars just by taking phrases out of the bible uh a song that has made famous almost everyone who ever chose to feature it as their number one song on their album, um, I Will Always Love You. Doesn't matter if it was Dolly, doesn't matter if it was Whitney, doesn't matter if it was Celine Dion. Uh, they throw that song out there. Why? Because there's one person who can, one and only one, who can say, I will always love you. God concepts resonate inside of people because people were created by there's that connection there already. Um, wh- wh- who was that? I know it wasn't Peaches and Herb. I always think it's them, but I th- it was somebody else who said, Darling, if you want me to be closer to you, get. Who was that? Rick ain't here. I ain't got nobody to tell me. So, uh, biblical concept. Right? Ha- ha- y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. How many of y'all heard that song? Okay, act like y'all don't know good music. My goodness. Oh, there's Rick. Rick's like, how am I not here? You don't know who that is? Okay. Yeah, they, 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 they weren't the ones. But anyway, let's get off that. God said... If you draw close to me, I will draw close to you. What are they doing? They are pimping out scripture to make money because they know that people are the ones that listen to songs. People are the ones to spend money. And the one creator that created all people wrote these words down for us. uh, And he told us, don't worry. So what was my guy's name? The do, 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 don't worry, Bobby McFerrin, Bobby McFadden, some Bobby. These people know that if you take some words that God's, listen to me, God's word is eternal. God's word is important. 
It's impacting, and it'll change your life if you'll let it. So you got an opportunity right now. You can, you can do a couple of things. You can sleep. You can keep talking to your neighbor. You can keep picking the back of your head, or you can focus on what God has to say to you and hear from the Lord. I hope you know what the best option is. Mm. Let's think about it. In this chapter, Jesus has already covered so much. Uh, if you've been around for a long time, you know this is my favorite passage of Christ's teaching. Jesus taught 16 recorded sermons in the Gospels. And in this chapter, he's teaching in that famous sermon on the mountain. And here in verse 6, he's already taught about giving to the needy. Big subject. Resonates with politicians. It's hilarious to me where one political party would say, we're the party that gives to the needy while the other party doesn't, yet the needy are still needy. Point that party out to me that has cured homelessness, that has cured, well, the other party's holding them back. Billions and billions and billions of dollars get spent every quarter. There's always going to be needy people. And if the government really wanted to fix it, they would. That's a different time, message for a different time, but big subject. Somebody say big subject. He talked about giving to the needy. He's talked about prayer. He's talked about fasting. He's talked about money, possessions, and now he teaches on worry. I want you to understand no matter how big a deal it is to you, worry is a big deal. Somebody say big deal. Uh, I don't know what your, your, your worry is. I don't even know what your worry is level is I have certain strengths you have strengths I have weaknesses you have weaknesses I'm not much of a worry I'm more likely to laugh something off make a joke out of it not to try to defuse it or try to uh, push it to the side but I just really don't get caught up that much uh, worrying about stuff because I've learned a few things in life and one thing for sure worry is not going to change it but do people worry? Of course not you because you're all that in a bag of chips. But, but some people worry. And listen, some people worry excessively. You've got normal people who get concerned. Concerned, that, that's code word for worry but don't want to sound like a worrier. So, some, some people worry a little bit but they, they keep it in balance. That's, that's code for I'm out of balance but I don't like to admit it. Some people worry a lot, and those are just honest people who don't care what you think. But whether you're a worry wart or someone who isn't naturally prone to worry, Jesus taught on worry because it is a big deal in the life of the human experience. And no matter where you are in your experience, you are having a human experience, and the God that created you has two words for you this morning. Don't worry. There are going to be times in your life where that seems like an almost impossible task, and there are going to be times in your life where that seems very easy for you to do. But whether it is easy or whether it is difficult, it does not change God's command to not worry. This Wednesday, I'm having a, a, a surgery that there are people who are more worried for me than I am worried for myself. And some would say that's because they're smarter than me, uh, and, and they may well be. But this Wednesday, many of you know, I'll be having a ping-pong ball-sized tumor taken out of the back of my head, um, and I won't be in church on Wednesday night. So I want to invite everybody to come out to church on Wednesday night because you won't have me to deal with. <laughs> yeah, that's a plus. But here's the sad reality. So many times when people know that the pastor, the senior pastor, is not going to be uh, in church, they will stay home. Don't be that guy. You should come to church more when I'm not here than when I am here. Um, we need you all the time, but especially when someone's not going to be here, whether it's me or you, we are a family. We need to gather together. Um, but they're going to be splicing me open. Uh, I've never had my head cracked open. I don't think. I've had a lot of surgeries in my lifetime. I've broken my neck. I've broken my back twice. Um, I don't think I've ever had anybody crack my head open. Um, so pray for me. I've had people ask me, are you worried, Pastor? Not really. Um, my, I, I, I say it like my old preacher used to say it. Um, 
uh, I'm, I'm, I'm paid, I'm, I'm, my, my ticket's paid up, I'm all prayed up, and I'm ready to go up. You say, well, that's a horrible concept. Not really. Not really. You say, well, I believe you shall live and not die for the glory of God. Uh, well, that could happen too. Um, but things like this are things that cause worry. Now, am I concerned? Yes, I'm concerned. I've got money hidden all over my house, and I don't want my kids searching for it. <laughs> that's a joke. Or, or, or for our Hispanic friends, I say yoke. Uh, and that's funny, too. But keep me in prayer for that if you're a praying type person. But let's get into what Jesus said about not worrying. In verse 25 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. And then he asks this rhetorical question. And, and rhetorical questions are very familiar to people who study the Bible because whether it was Jesus talking or Apostle Paul talking, whoever God was inspiring to record these words, we see a lot of rhetorical questions. These are questions where the answer is implied and you should automatically know the right answer. That's like when your mama said, do you want me to knock your head smooth off your neck? If you would have said, I don't know, can you do, she wasn't really looking for an answer. That's like when your father looked at you and said, do you think I'm stupid? <laughs> not look, again, not looking for, these are rhetorical questions. And Jesus is talking to a group of people and he's trying to get them to understand that life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. What's he talking about? Big picture, say big picture. If we ever begin to focus on a bigger picture than the picture we're looking at currently, we will find out that we are becoming more of who God created us to be. And we're doing less worry. What did we say in the beginning? Don't worry. So there's needs, though. I mean, let's be for real. I've told you for years because we started this church 21 years ago with 15 people, uh, adults and some kids. And... Dress, people were concerned. Well, how do we want to dress? How do we want to set the culture for dress? And, and I'd been in churches where uh, everybody dresses up to the nines. I mean, to the just unbelievable um, suits, ties, hats, uh, everything. And we could have went that route. I mean, we, we, we got uh, the senior elder in the church on the front row in, in uh, shorts and, and a short sleeve shirt right now. Um, what goes around comes around. I had to say that. I, I remember one time um, I wore shorts to church, uh, and I didn't know it was going to be communion that night. And Bishop said, good job wearing shorts to church, Scott. Wear pants next time. We'll let you serve communion. Um, it's, a yo it's a joke. The culture could have been suits and ties. I, went to, I was visiting a church one time. Um, it was one of those hard hellfire damnation, us four, no more, we're right, and everybody else is going to hell kind of churches. And the pastor stood up and said, we'll be having visitation tomorrow night, and you know what that means. I guess he was talking to me because I had, I, I come, at, listen, you catch me any day of the month, I'm going to be wearing blue jeans. I'm comfortable in blue jeans. You say, well, what about Easter? I, I'm probably going to wear blue jeans on Easter. Every time I wear a suit, I get about four different comments from people I like seeing you in a suit, Pastor. Um, and I knew that comment's going to come anytime. I, every time I'm putting on a suit, I know that's going to come. But I guess this pastor was looking at me because I was the only person in there wearing blue jeans. And he said, you know what that means, people. That's suits and ties for men, dresses for ladies. I'm like, wow, y'all suit and tie to come to church, and y'all suit and tie to go visit people. But that's the culture they adopted. So I decided early on because the Bible said man looks on the outward but God looks on the heart people are more concerned with what you look like on the outside than what you look like on the inside that's what's wrong with the world today too many people coming to church trying to look the role on Sunday but they weren't playing the role on Friday night uh, you can say amen you can say ouch I had a church mother tell me if the preacher throws a rock into a pack of dogs the one that hollers the one that hit 
But I decided that uh, the important thing, and this, I've been saying this ever since, I don't care if you wear a suit or tie. I don't care if you wear a dress or you can have a pretty hat on. I don't care if you wear shorts and flip-flops. Uh, just don't come naked. That's our standard role. Don't come naked. Why? Because you would take all the attention off the preaching. Just imagine right now. Could you imagine? Right, if Marlo was naked right now, nobody would be paying attention to the whole church. I, I, to anything else. <laughs> but see, come wear something. What, what am I saying? Food and clothes are a pretty big deal, yeah? If you didn't have any, it'd become a bigger deal to you. So when Jesus is saying, don't worry about everyday life, what's he talking about? Food, clothing, shelter, big. He's not talking about small stuff. He's talking about big stuff. And let me pretend real quick. Wednesday nights is my favorite night of the week to come to church because we have open discussion, interactive Bible study. We slow it down and we let you give some thoughts and interjections. We talk back and forth um, because I want to teach you how to learn. That's why we call it Abundant Life University. In kindergarten, first and second grade, they're, they're teaching you stuff. Once you get past high school, university is supposed to be a place where you develop a greater ability to think for yourself and find the answer for yourself. And so we have Wednesday night we call Abundant Life University. It's a deeper dive, slow the pace down, and we talk back and forth. And if this was a Wednesday night class or almost any other time, um, I would ask you, why would Jesus say in the beginning of this verse, I tell you not to worry about everyday life? Because we worry. Not just about brain surgery on Wednesday at 1015, if you want to write that down, but everyday life. We worry about the silliest stuff. And he knows that because he knows our thoughts. And he tells us not to do it. Now, is he telling us not to do it for good or for bad? Now, that really, deter that really depends on how mature you are in the faith. Because immature people always think that the authority is trying to harm them. All right? Well, let's talk about it. You see, here's the thing. Remember, I've told you this a thousand times. When you say amen, that means I agree with what you just said. When you say amen, that lets me know that you get it, and I don't have to preach on it for another 15, 25 minutes, make nine different examples, four analogies, 15 different cross-reference scriptures for it to get you to understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah? Uh-huh. So immature people think authority is trying. What do you think when you tell your 13-year-old, I don't want you staying out uh, late, I don't want you out midnight, one, two, or three o'clock in the morning. Uh, do you think they're telling, you're telling them that because you love them and you want them to have all the fun they can have? You just, you just hate me. They think, when you tell them, I want you to be hanging around Sasha because you know she's fast and stay away from Ray Ray pooking them because they're going, you hate me, you hate all my friends. Why do you hate me? That's immature, say immature. Your parents don't tell you that because they hate you. They're trying, they're trying, listen, if you're their daughter, they're, they're, they're trying to keep you unpregnant. In one of our famous men's groups, we develop every man with a daughter's biggest desire is to keep her unpregnant and off the pole, but I ain't supposed to tell you all that. We don't typically re rehearse, you know, men's group stuff, but they're not trying to harm you. When, when your mother says, I want you home by midnight, it's not because she hates you. When the police say, don't go over 70 on the interstate, they hate me. They're trying to stop me from getting where I'm going on time. Because you woke up 20 minutes late? No, rules are in place to help you say help. But immature people don't believe that. See, as you mature, as you get older and you have kids, and I'm talking about you, that one that hated being told you couldn't hang out with Pookie, that one that hated your mama telling you Mary Beth was fast, that, that, that one that didn't like curfew, guess what you do to your kids? Curfew. You're not, bringing that, no, you're not hanging out with them. Matter of fact, let me see your phone. 
You, you're, you're that one. Now, I've never done that. He just turned 18 a couple of months ago, and I, I failed to do it his whole life. Some of y'all would think, that's just bad parenting. Because some of y'all put keystroke checkers on y'all's children's computers. How many people believe parents do that? Oh, they do. We've got them in this church. we got the people sitting in this room with some keystroke checkers. Uh, listen, I ain't mad at you about it, but you're telling on yourself. You're just expecting them to do everything you did, so you're like, oh, I'm going to keystroke check them. See, I did so much bad when I was a child, I'm like, I don't want to know everything. <laughs> if you doubt I drove a parent crazy, you can look back, back there on the one, two, three, four, five, seventh row back uh, and, 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 and find out. But some people, they, they, they just hate authority. They hate uh, being told what to do. Rules are viewed as bad, and freedom is viewed as good, and sometimes it can be that, but sometimes it can be the opposite of that, and Jesus is telling people, don't worry, because we do. We worry, but we shouldn't, and we're going to find out why as we process through this today. In verse 26, Jesus said, look at the birds. Now, I got to believe, even though I've taught you, and, and this is the best case for understanding Scripture, um, one theologian said this, where the Scripture remains silent on a matter, smart people would do well to do the same. We can't speak to issues that the Scripture doesn't necessarily speak to, and if you try to read into stuff, sometimes you'll miss the point. But I, 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 even understanding that, I kind of believe right now that Jesus is seeing some birds. doesn't say that, but it makes sense to me. He, said, he uses a, an example. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. <laughs> if I had time, we would just sit down right there. Because, you know, that's the majority of what Americans spend their time doing. They, they spend their time planting, harvesting, and storing food in barns. You're like, I don't do farming, Reverend. Uh, you go to work so you can make money, so you can pay the bills. Listen, and I've told you, and I'm going to keep telling you, if your life has become something that looks like this, getting up on Monday so you can go to work to make enough money on Monday to pay the bills so you can get up and go to work on Tuesday and make enough money on Tuesday to pay the bills so you can get up and go to work and pay the bills and get up and go to work and pay the that's existing, that's not living. And Jesus is trying to teach a better way here. This is what we get caught up doing. We, we've dubbed it the rat race and I want to tell you something, if you do not work hard against this, this will happen to you by default. You will get caught up in this working, making money, paying off bills, stacking up some cash. Working, making money, paying off bills, or trying to stack up some cash. And that is a trap. Say trap. Life's bigger than that. Eternity is bigger than that. There's a bigger picture than that. But how many of y'all know? It still matters. You, you, still got, you still got to go to work. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. You, you still got to pay the bills. The, the, the Bible says to not borrow money if you don't intend to pay it back. You still got to live. But Jesus asked this rhetorical question at the end. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Now, typically, when we read rhetorical questions in the Scripture, we agree that there's an assumed answer and we keep on moving to find the next big point. But there is a big point right here. The big point is Jesus is telling them that they're far more valuable to God than birds, animals, and that they have great value to God. And even though he knows that they understand the answers assumed, he also knows that they struggle with self-esteem. And that's a real problem. In America today, we got so many people struggling with self-value. It doesn't matter how many cliches, how many memes, how much stuff you put on social media. And, and let me just give some of you overly active social media people uh, just, just some free counsel real quick. When you put thematic stuff on Facebook, Instagram, uh, it, whatever social media you use, when you are so thematic that every post runs in the same thing, 
I won't be hurt again. I'm too valuable to be hurt. I'll never put my... When you get thematic like that, you are just exposing that very part of you that you're trying to cover. I wanted to see if I had five friends. I bet only two people. I know who my two are. When you are so thematic in all your posting, you are exposing a part of you that you need to give to God. So here's some free advice right now. This is $385 an hour free counsel for you right now. Look on your social media. Find your theme. Quit posting that junk and give that to God, and we could be done right now. But y'all want to hear more. And, and, and I'm not done telling you what God wants you to hear. Are you valuable to God? All the cliches tell us that. Uh, you know, he, he loves us. Hey, we cast all our care on him because he cares for us. You, here, here, here's a great one. You can tell how much something's worth by the price that was paid for it. What was the price that God paid for you, his son? I mean, we got to get it in our mind that we are valuable to God. Now, any truth taken to an extreme can become heretical, false, wrong, bad doctrine. And we've seen this happen in the church where people were teaching about self-value and wanting you to know that the Bible says you're God's peculiar treasure. Uh, one of the uh, great commentaries on that is your God's very own pocket change and he just he just likes having you in his pocket. God loves you so much he wants you close to him but we've seen that taken to an extreme now and if you look at the majority of sermons being preached in mega churches it's always about how great the person is when messages should predominantly be about how great all right don't don't lose the process don't miss the point for the process. We worry, but we shouldn't. Let's, let's look at verse 27. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Another rhetorical question. So let me ask it to you. See how many smart people are in the room and who's still awake. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Five people said no. The rest of y'all either asleep or refuse to participate because you haven't figured it out yet. When you don't talk back to me... I'm going to talk longer. So what Jesus is saying here is your worries can't add a single minute to your life, no matter how much you worry about it. Jesus doesn't want you to worry. Jesus is saying worries are waste. I'm going to keep talking about it because nobody don't want to say amen. Oh, y'all say amen to that. I didn't even make a Bible point and y'all said amen to that because you're worried about lunch. Worrying will not change it. You ought to write that down, get it tattooed on your forehead. You ought to put it on a three-by-five card, stick it in your visor, write it on lipstick, on your bathroom mirror. Worry will not change it. What, 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 did, what did Paul tell the Philippian church uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in Philippians chapter 4? He said, don't worry about what? Anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. There are ways to stop worrying. Typically, people who are prone to worry just don't want to do what they got to do to get what they need to get. But the reality is, worrying will not add a single moment to your life. And, and I get it. Um, and I understand it's, it's a show of love, show of compassion, show of empathy. People are concerned. Um, I have had so many people um, send me texts and emails saying, I know you're going to live through Wednesday's surgery. Um, don't worry. And I'm like, well, I'm not worried. And I wasn't really thinking that this surgery was going to, they're not taking out my brain. They're not taking out something that works. They're taking out something that doesn't work. Uh, they're taking out a tumor. But I know that when you have big stuff on the plate, is something that consumes your thoughts. And, you know, I had to come to this conclusion after, after 40 years of pastoring that what's big to you, catch this, this is profound, what's big to you is big to you. I remember 
the week after my wife died, she was 36 years old. She left me with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Uh, my whole world had, had been wrecked. Um, I had met this woman when I, the, she was a girl. She was 11 years old. Her mother was my vacation uh, Bible school teacher. And I told people that summer in 1975 that I was going to marry that girl. And I finally did. And then after 10 years of us being married, she was 36 years old, she, she died, and my, my life was a wreck, and it was tough, and um, grief is, is huge in, in, in whatever case it is. But I remember the very next week, and if I'd have been smart, I wouldn't have been counseling people the very next week, amen? My wife died at 8.14 on a Sunday morning. Uh, I stood in the pulpit that Sunday night, uh, and people said, Pastor, you should say, take some time off, um, you know, get yourself together, and I told them, uh, this, is where I, this is where I feel best, and I didn't take any time off, so that very next week, I was counseling somebody, it's a true story, they're not here anymore, I wouldn't share it if they were, and I'm not going to tell you who it was or get into any details, because that'd be inappropriate, but I'm exposing myself, not them. I had someone come in my office, and they were just sobbing. Because their 87-year-old grandmother had passed. And they were telling, and this is a grown-up. This is somebody, you know, close to my age. And they were telling me how they don't know how they're going to be able to go on with life and how difficult it is and how, how much they depended on their grandma. This was a grown adult with a spouse and children. And I found myself sitting there thinking, you know what happened last Sunday, right? You know what I'm going through right now, right? And I thought, your 87-year-old grandmother was supposed to die. People don't live forever. They, traffic's bad now. What if, what if, what if it, you know, nobody died? <laughs> Think about traffic then. My Lord, the wait on a Saturday night to get into a good restaurant is almost unbearable at this point. If people live forever... I'd have to start keeping food in my house. But if you don't know, we eat out every night because we don't have food in the house. But I had to pray about that and get my mind together and, and realize this. Whether someone you love dies at 36 or 87, a big deal to you is still a big deal to you. And pain is hard. And, and, and grief is 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 difficult but i want you to understand when it comes to worry see you're going to have grief and god says there's a time to laugh and a time to cry but there's not a time to worry see wor worry signifies some things that we'll see in just a minute that god doesn't want you to have god doesn't want you to have worry but let me tell you this it's okay to have grief i had so many of my overly charismatic pastor friends um, that, that would come by and check on me, um, and I would be crying. And I had, I, I, finally, I had to cut them off. Uh, I, I would let them go because uh, how, how many of y'all ever had some real grief and had some stumbling person trying to say some stuff to you to make you feel better, but it wasn't making you feel better? I had to look at Kyronic because I know we, we've been through the same thing, and uh, people mean well. But I finally had to tell them, look, 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 super Christian. That don't want me to cry. Wash your face and anoint your head, man of God. Your wife is in heaven with Jesus rejoicing. You need to pick thyself up off thy bed of affliction and give God the glory. Uh, let me tell you something, super Christian. The same God that created this whole world created me with emotions. And he created me with tear ducts, with an S on the end of that word, multiple. Uh, it's okay to have grief, but God never wants you to worry. All right? So let's don't confuse grief with worry because you, you can get rid of your worry. You're going to have to process your grief. Verse 28 says, and why worry about your clothing? Wow. 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus looked at a group of people and said, why worry about your clothing? There's almost nothing in this country 
that people concentrate on more than what they wear. Oh, you don't believe me? I'm not going to ask them to do it because I don't know if there's enough honesty in the room. And, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody. And I don't want you, you know, letting all your laundry out. But do you realize there's a really good chance that there's a woman in this room right now that put on more than one thing this morning? Took that off. And said, I'm not going to Anybody believe that happened today? Some ladies are nodding their head because they know it was me if it wasn't nobody else. Because that just didn't look right. Yes, it did. It just didn't look good enough to you. What? And men do the same thing. Listen, I, hey, it, it used to just be women that had to lay down to, to put pants on and suck their gut in. Get them jeans on. Two twenty-six, brother. Me and Elder Jimmy have been the same weight. We we we've been coming to this church for over fifteen years together. You hit sixteen yet? Or are you still hanging on fifteen? Seventeen years. Um, been serving in this church for a long time together, and we have been the exact same height and the exact same weight since day one. And we stayed for the longest part of our life at two o six. Yes or no? Those days are behind me. And it's wild because we're running each other and we just throw weight out at each other. Now, if, it, if you see us standing beside each other, I'll either be slightly taller than him, which is more, more likely than not most of the time, or if he's got his cowboy boots on, he'll be the same size as me. Uh, but we've been the same height and the same weight typically um, for, for the whole 17 years. I, I blew up, gained a lot of weight. He did too. I started losing weight. Not that we were doing it together. It was just like weird, huh? It's crazy. Uh, now, he told me he, he'd been working outside. He'd been gone for a couple of months uh, do, doing some projects. Uh, did, did you lose all that weight you said you were losing? Two ten. I, I've, never, I've never been uh, 16 pounds heavier than you. That just means I'm more of a man than you are. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it means... I've almost reached female status where I got to lay on my bed to get my jeans on. But, hey, I'm three pounds off the biggest I've ever been. Uh, I'm more of a man than I used to be. But get the point. He said, don't worry about your clothing. Do you realize people worry about their clothes? Think about the amount of money people spend on clothes. It is crazy. I remember when I first started wearing urban jeans, and uh, I, you used to have to go to urban shops to buy urban jeans. And I paid $295 for a pair of Coogee pants that are slam, blue jeans that are slamming. I mean slamming. Um, that, that, that company almost doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, but now, you don't have to go to urban specialty shops to buy expensive jeans that look decent, you walk into Dillard's of all places. Now, let me just tell you all, Dillard's is as is, is, is white as a paper plate in a snowstorm in the middle of Alaska. Okay? If you shop at Dillard's, you're as square as a shoebox. All right? Um, not, not, I'm not mad at Dillard's, okay? I, I, but you, do you realize you can buy urban jeans at Dillard's and the, J.C. Penney? Now, J.C. Penney even more so than, than Dillard's, but it, it is so prevalent. And I never thought I'd walk into a typical mall retailer. J.C. Penney's has $150 urban wear blue jeans. Now, this is about the, the, the most moderately priced retailer in a mall. And why in the world, let me, let me ask you this, why would a store put jeans in their store that cost over $100? Because people are what? People are buying them. You live to be my age, you, you'll, you'll figure out people didn't mean half of what they said. Because uh, I, I know a lot of people said if Donald Trump uh, was elected president, they'd leave the country, and they didn't leave the country. I remember when I was buying gas for under a dollar a gallon in high school, and I remember people saying if gas go, goes over, over $2 a gallon, I'm going to buy a horse. They didn't buy a horse. I, I remember... Um, 
not, not that I, I never smoked cigarettes. I smoked some other things before, before Christ, but I never smoked cigarettes. But I remember when cigarettes were $3 a pack, and people said, if cigarettes go over $3 a pack, I'm going to quit smoking. And guess what? They didn't quit smoking. Um, people now, gas? <laughs> I'm glad that it's pulled back some, but if you think gas is cheap right now, you, you, you need more than to stop worrying. You need to check up. Because when it takes $100 to fill up a Camry, that, that, that is too much. But let's get back to clothes. People are spending outrageous amounts of money on clothes. I got a pastor friend of mine, and I just I, I ragdoll him every chance I get because he needs, he needs to have somebody tell him the truth. Because he's always bragging. Uh, last time I saw him, he was telling me about the new belt. He had a $700 belt. I'm like, $700 belt? I don't have $700 uh, in clothing on me from my feet to, to my neck. And some people are just ridiculous when it comes. Now, there's other people in the room like, man, I, I just got one pair of jeans, two T-shirts. Listen, we live in a culture today where this is more prevalent than it's ever been. The clothing industry is just out of control. Why? Because people are so worried about, do I look the role? Clothes don't make the man. Clothes don't make the woman. You, you, you can look good. Just listen. Make sure it's clean, moderately unwrinkled, and put it on. Jesus said, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Verse 29 says, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Now, see, we don't get to look at a lot of this because there's just not a lot of fields in Jacksonville. There, there's not a lot of wide open pasture in Jacksonville. But if you ever drive outside of Jacksonville and you see some beautiful rolling land, I'm not talking about that flat as a pancake Jacksonville land. I'm talking about that Tallahassee Ocala land. I'm, I'm talking about that going up north and seeing some real hills and valleys. And you see just a beautiful, man, I have seen people pull over. Now, some of y'all are going to be guilty of this. I have seen people pull over on the side of the road on I-95 going north when the whole median in, on the sides and in the middle just covered over with just a million different colors of flowers. People out in the middle of a median picking flowers. That's ditch flowers. <laughs> that tells me they live in, 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 in a place that doesn't have a lot of flowers. But it's beautiful. And, and God's, God's making a point. He said, look, Solomon spent more money on his clothes than anybody, but he still didn't look as good as stuff that grows for free. And in verse 30, he comes back to the point. He said, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. I tell you all the time, pay attention to the punctuation. When you're reading the Bible and you see a comma, pause on that and consider what's been said when you see a sentence reflect on that and make sure you understand it or go back and read all of it if you take the word in between the punctuation it'll chop it down into smaller phrases that you can digest it where you can really get it deep down in your spirit and look at the last phrase of that sentence it says he that should be capital he will certainly care for you we're hearing this theme over and over again God cares about you God he certainly cares about you and then Jesus says this why do you have so little faith and that is not really a place to say amen that's a place to say ouch why do you have so little faith I want you to hear this today worry is a sign of little faith if you worry a lot you have little faith a lot. Now, let me tell you what I'm glad. I'm glad it's not a sign of no faith. It's a sign of little faith, not no faith. See, no faith is disastrous. Little faith can be improved on. But he said that worry is a sign of little faith. Verse 31, he said, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? Now, I'm thinking... I can understand if you said don't worry about buying a Louis Vuitton bag. I can understand if you said don't worry about getting your hails and your nails did. Boy, there's a business. 
Any of y'all got that entrepreneurial spirit and you want a business? Man, open you up a weave shop and put a nail shop next to it. Oh, man, we have, we have had some, some, some people in our church that couldn't pay rent or light bill, but nails, fierce, hair on point. <laughs> Let me keep going. He's saying don't worry about these things. What, what, which things? Jesus, eating, drinking, not being naked. Sounds like some pretty big stuff. And he's saying don't worry about that. These are the biggest needs in the natural life. And Jesus says, don't worry about, listen, if you ever get to the point where you're not worried where your next meal is going to come from, you definitely can let go of some of that uh, extemporaneous stuff. Verse 32, he said, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, comma. That's cause for pause. Stop and think about it. These things dominate. What, what things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers? Worrying about how you look, what you're going to eat. How, how, how you're living, how you appear to other people. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. So when we worry, we are looking like unbelievers. And I know this as a father who has two sons. Um, I thought my mom had gone fully out of it. My mom was in a room when my firstborn son was born. I don't even know if you remember this, Mom. Uh, I didn't get down. I don't know about you dads. I stayed up by the head. I didn't go down to the, to the foot of the bed. I, I stayed right up, but, you know. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not see no evil monkey. Uh, I'm not. Mm -mm. I'm trying to keep my stomach down right now. So I'm not looking. My mom uh, in the room right there. My mom, uh, career nurse. Uh, nothing upsets her stomach. Um, my mom screams out as soon as his head peeked out. Do you remember what you screamed out? My mom, I got it on videotape. You remember what she screamed out, Dina? What? Screamed it at the top of her lungs. He looks just like Scott! I don't think I've ever been so offended in my whole life. I'm like, hey. I know I look good. I don't, that, 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 that's a creature at this point. Uh, I love all y'all that think babies are cute. Babies look like aliens. I mean, when you got to be handed off to a nurse to be cleaned up before you can be presented to a parent. I thought, there she goes. My mother. She got five people in here video recording. That's, that's, that's kept forever now. Uh, and this wasn't easy video recording either. This wasn't telephones back then. They, they, they didn't, they, they, we weren't using that kind of technology. This stuff people had up on their shoulders. Dina just like this. This stuff people had on their shoulders in between to asking the doctor to move his head. So they push that. Y'all remember that button? That button? That, that Zoom button? And here goes my it's funny when I have people tell me one of my sons looked like me, one looked like uh, their mother. Uh, people flip-flop that back and forth. Uh, there are pictures of my children, and my family knows this, uh, that if it wasn't for the people standing around them, nobody would know which one was which. They look that much alike. But what am I saying? Every father wants their children to look something like them. Here's a hint, bruh. If it looks nothing like you, do I need to help you? Uh, you might need a test, but every father wants their child to look something like them. And God wants us to look like him. You do God great justice when you position yourself to look like him. When you look like a child of the father, the father smiles. The father smiles at that point. Don't go around looking like an unbeliever. What can make you look like an unbeliever? Let, letting worry dominate your thoughts. Worry is going to creep in. Push it out. Well, I can't control what I think about, preacher. Yes, you can. The Bible says that, that you got to cast down thoughts. you you got to pull stuff down out of your mind. you you, you got to reject certain things. And you got to bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. When you find yourself worrying, say, I know God loves me. 
I know God's on my side. We, we, we have lost our way as 21st century Christians from what every generation before us had. They had real hard times. But they also had a concept that said, whatever happens, God, God, God's will be done. Whatever happens, God will see us through it. Now we got memes, uh, worldly people, unsaved people, filling up Facebook with memes. If God brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. Ain't that cute because it rhymes? Y'all know me. I want to get on there and say, God brought the apostle Peter to a cross of martyrdom. And he died. But in essence, they'd still be right. He brought him to it, and he did see him through it. It just wasn't what the concept is today that it's going to be easy. Listen, we're the first generation in the history of the Lord's church that expected everything to be easy. I, I, love, I love that one book. I've told you about it before, The Barbarian Way. On the back cover, it says, If God's plan for his only begotten son was the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering, why do you think all of your life should be easy? Your growth comes through your troubles. And people want to act like everything is going to be easy. Listen, when people see you go through some stuff and they see that you're still flat-footed and head toward God, then they get a chance to recognize you got something I don't have because I would have lost my mind. You, 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 you got a piece. That the Bible says it surpasses all understanding. Your lack of worry should make everybody look at you and say, that don't even make sense. That doesn't make any sense. How, how are they still showing up to church? I had so many people ask me when, when uh, Gail was sick, did this, did this affect our faith that God would allow her to go through this? And, and we, we determined then, and I still believe now, God's done more for us than we deserve. If God never does another good thing for us, he did enough at the cross. Everything in this life's not going to be easy. You're going to have to deal with some suffering. You're going to deal with some grief. And listen, every one of us lived a certain portion of our life until we lost somebody that really mattered to us. But it happens to everyone. If you live long enough, it will happen to you. And I'm not belittling it. I'm letting you know there's going to be ups and downs, good days, bad days, happy days, and sad days. But you need to understand God is in control of it all. Don't let these thoughts of what you're worrying about dominate you. Don't let thoughts of, oh, Lord, how am I going to make it? Oh, Lord, how am I going to deal with that? Oh, Lord, how, how by that Lord you keep not believing in. He said, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Let me tell you something. If you come to lunch with me, you don't have to worry about how are you going to pay for what you order. That's why every time I sit down, I tell whoever's there, I, lunch is on me, order anything you want. Uh, I, I hope you get uh, two of the most expensive things on the menu because I just want to shower you right now. And then you, because here's the reality. If I, if I invited you to lunch and I'm like, hey, you want to go to lunch today? Uh, sure. Oh, okay. Meet me at uh, Matthew's. Y'all don't know who Matthew's is. Uh, meet me the people that know where Matthews is, like, uh, no. Uh, meet me at Capitol Grill. Mm, wasn't really like feeling like spending $135 on lunch today, Pastor. But if you know that you're not the one paying for it, you don't have to worry about how much it costs. Do you realize that no matter what the scenario is in life, you are not the one paying for it? God has already got the rent paid, the bills paid, everything that you need, the Bible says you already have. Well, I lost a house. Uh, it wasn't God's fault. And obviously God didn't want you to have it anymore. That's why some of us don't have everything we want. God knows we just lose it. That's a different message for a different time. God knows how much of your needs according to this verse. He knows all your needs. What are you worried about? God certainly has more money than we do. God certainly has more ability than we have. And he's got it covered. Now, here, here's the reality. I'll, I'll give you a colloquialism. I'll give you some modern-day expression uh, that means much. I have some people in my life that when they say, I got you, and I know that's real, 
That's comforting, yeah? If you've got a person in your life that you know, uh, now I'm tired of people saying ride or die when they're riding out. Um, but there are some people that are truly ride or die by your side. I got you. How many of y'all know that's valuable? And we find value in that from human beings. If you don't get anything out of this sermon, get this and I'm done. God has you. God has you. He loves his children. He loves you more than you love your children. God knows all of our needs. In verse 33, the most famous verse in this passage, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Come. Hmm. Stop and think about it. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. If I asked everybody in this room one by one, almost at 100% rate, people would say, oh, God is first in my life, Pastor. I seek God above everything. How many of y'all know that wouldn't really be true? That's just what people say. This is what we should be doing. And, and means there's more, live righteously. Whoops. Do you put God first? Do you seek God above everything else, above your job, above your family, above your hobbies, above your children, your grandchildren, your, the things that are stressing you out in life? Do you seek God more than all that? Does God occupy more of your prefrontal cortex than everything else? Probably not, but if he does, do you live righteously? Because if you'll do these two things, Jesus made this promise. He will give you everything you need. See, he knows your needs. The last verse said he knows all your needs, but we don't always get all of our needs met. Sometimes the repo man shows up. Sometimes they tell you leave, leave the keys on the counter. Sometimes it falls through the floor. But Jesus said if you seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, he will give you everything you need. I told you all, all these people walk around quoting verses that they don't, they, they don't qualify for. Some verses come with a prereq. Some verses are what's called conditional promises. If you do this, then God will do that. The Bible, uh, God inspired the apostle Paul to tell a certain group of people, and I know that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We got generations of Christians walking around saying that as if that applies to them. When it doesn't, Paul said, was able to say that to a group of people because they had given overwhelmingly to his ministry when they didn't have the money to give. Those are the kind of people that can say that. And here, people who put God above everything and live right, those are the people that can say, I know God is going to give me everything I need. Last verse, and I'm done. He said, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Now, you only can walk in verse 33 if you fulfilled verse, in verse 34 if you fulfilled verse 33. This is the end of a long chapter of teaching. Jesus has said so much already. And he's finishing up with this worry, and he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Now, this is assuming that you have already put God first, and you're living righteously, because that's the cure for worry. Here, he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. That is predictive, prophetic, and mildly discouraging. If Jesus said tomorrow's going to bring its own worries, do you think tomorrow's going to have its own worries? It is. But there's nothing to fall apart over. Stop letting your life fall apart over your worry. That shows little faith. Then he says in the end, today's trouble is enough for today. Today's trouble is enough. For today, do you know if you're worrying about tomorrow when you got trouble today that you're not you're not succeeding today as you should? What have we seen? We saw God said, "Don't worry about tomorrow." I told you, God knows what you need. Put it in His hands. We saw tomorrow brings its own worries. Listen, you're gonna have plenty of time tomorrow to deal with tomorrow. Now, I'm not saying don't plan. The Bible's not against you, you, you uh, be, being, being responsible, but it's against you worrying about, well, what's going to happen? I have people, to, I, people have been saying this for 100 years. 
Oh, I'd be scared if I was bringing children into this world. I don't even know if I'd be comfortable bringing a child into this world. They've been saying that every generation. It's truer now than it's ever been. But God doesn't want you to worry about it. There's going to be plenty to worry about. He said today's trouble is enough for today. Here's the punchline. We need to live in the now to be fully present in every moment that God gives us. Be fully present and paying attention to what's going on today. If you get this, you will have succeeded in your mission of coming to church today. Live in the now. Start being present. See, it's good to come to church. But some people come to church, but they're not even really here. They've emotionally checked out. They didn't sing a song. They didn't listen to the, to the taught word. They're not going to put any money in the plate. They just came to come. They, they didn't fully occupy the moment. I've been trying to teach men how, how, how to communicate effectively with, with, their, with their wives uh, for decades. Uh, let me see if anybody knows what you need to do. Sometimes you got to scrunch up your what? Your toes. Why would you scrunch up your toes? When she's telling you a story that should have taken 15 seconds and she's five minutes deep into it, scrunch your toes up <laughs> to remind yourself to hang in. Bite the inside of your cheek. Tell yourself. You can't tell her. She's already heard you tell her 5,000 times, land the plane. To tell you, so she's going to land the plane, and I don't want to miss it. Because you need to hear it. When that man is wearing you out and not doing what it's stressing you out, remind yourself, God is my source and my supply. Listen, if you can get this down, you will have accomplished greatness. Live present in the present. Be present. In the very moment that you're in. When you're at work, work. When you're at play, play. When you're spending time with the ones you love, push everything else to the side and spend time with the ones you love. My mom has given me great wisdom through the years. One of the smartest things she ever said is send me my flowers while I'm living. Everybody loves to send flowers to a funeral. Love who you have right now. Love God right now. So many people live in this fantasy of what they're going to do in the future. That's a myth. That's a distraction of the devil. Well, as soon as my kids are grown, I'm going to. As soon as I get past this, I'm going to. As soon as school starts back, I'm going to. Well, when the new year comes around, I'm going to. Be present in the moment. Live in the now. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Strength for one day at a time. Change your life. Start being present. Psychologists say that over 90% of people forget the name of the person they just met who told them their name within 15 seconds. You ever met somebody? Hi, I'm Scott. I'm, I'm Joe. And if Dina's standing next to me, she knows what's going to happen in, 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 in the next five seconds. What's going to happen in the next five seconds? She, she did the whole body movement. What did he say his name was? <laughs> I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to y'all. But psychologists have determined why we don't remember such easy information. Because we're preoccupied thinking about a million different things. We're concerned with, did we, did we say our name clearly enough? Do we look right? How, how's that breath right now? We're concerned with a thousand different things instead of being in that moment. You'll get a deeper appreciation for life if you learn how to live in the now. You'll get a deeper appreciation for life if you'll realize, hey, yesterday's gone, I can't change it. Tomorrow ain't here, I ain't going to worry about it. But I'm sure enough going to live present in every moment. People in situations where everybody around them is having fun, but they're stuck worrying about something. They don't even get in on the fun. You don't get these days back. You don't get these days back. You better maximize every moment. Maximize every moment. 
I told y'all a good friend of mine called, uh, guy I was in the military with, talked to him on my birthday. I turned 59 last week. He told me, he said, he said, boy, next time you blink, you're going to be 70. I thought, you're crazy out of your head, old man. He's in his 70s. He was a senior soldier. I was brand new to the Army. And I thought, what kind of person says next time you blink, 11 years are going to go by? Somebody who's been there. Nobody gets to the end of their life and say, whoo, Lord, it took me a long time to get to 59. Jesus, I didn't think this day was ever going to come. I, I just, I, ne- I, I never thought I was going to be this old. People, people get there and they think, man, how did I get here so fast? Live in the moment. People that have been there will tell you, love on them babies because they'll be grown soon. Might feel different about that if you're a single dad. Mine been, mine been little for a long time. But it's real. Love the people you have in your life now. Love your church now. Love your God now. Serve God. Get involved. You're always thinking about what you're going to do when life gets better. Life shouldn't have to get better for you to live in the now. Wherever you find yourself, that's where God has you. Say three words and I'm going to pray and we're going to get out of here. But I want you to understand these three words. Are you ready? Embrace your place. Pray with me. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for knowing where we are, for guiding us to this place. God, we come from different places, different backgrounds, with different struggles, different needs, different levels of worry. But, God, I pray that you'd be our comfort, our help, our support, and our supply. God, I pray that you would show yourself strong. I thank you that you are a buckler and a shield. You're a strong defense and a strong tower. Thank you for hiding us under the shadow of your wing, God. Thank you for making a place for us in this world. And God, I pray that you would help us to live in the now. I pray that you'd help us not to worry about anything, but pray about everything, God. Teach us more about you. God, I pray that you'd let us transition from worrying about natural things to having a big picture mindset. You are eternal, and we love you. God, I pray for every person in this room who's not saved. Lord, I pray that you would show them their need for a personal relationship with you and for every person who is saved, God. I pray you fill us with your spirit to overflow, that we might go out and live more like believers than we look like unbelievers. God, we want to look like your children. Thank you, God, for giving us your spirit. And I pray, God, that we would glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.